Welcome to KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Monday, February 13th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser is visiting communities across the state to investigate the potential effects of the proposed merger of grocery chain giants Albertsons and Kroger. And CityCast Denver sits down with Uber and Lyft drivers who say recent changes have resulted in hourly earnings falling far below the minimum wage. After the BBC News headlines, we'll hear the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. Then it's Storytellers of Color with Rosanna Longo Better. Her guest today is poet and author Topaz Hooper. Then at 9 a.m., we'll bring you Counterspin, a look at fairness and accuracy in reporting. After that, Ann Cantalo will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still ahead this morning, but first, the headlines with KGNU's Stacey Johnson. Colorado has joined a coalition of 22 states and the District of Columbia in opposing a challenge by anti-abortion groups who want to overturn the Federal Drug Administration's approval of Mephistoprone. The drug is best known as an abortion-inducing pill, but is also used to treat ulcers and Cushing's disease. Scientists are also researching the drug's potential for treating different forms of cancer and addiction disorders. The multi-state coalition filed their brief in the North Texas federal court case of Alliance of Hippocratic Medicine versus U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser says the coalition argues that a FDA withdrawal of the approval would significantly reduce safe access to abortion care and miscarriage management, including states like Colorado where abortion is legal. The coalition also argues the withdrawal would jeopardize abortion care for low-income, underserved, and rural communities, as well as undermining the FDA drug approval process. The FDA has approved Mephistoprone since 2000 as a single-dose oral medication for early-term abortion. The IRS is not taxing Tabor refunds. Jack Armstrong has more. The IRS announced Friday that Taxpayers' Bill of Rights, or Tabor checks, issued by Colorado are not subject to federal taxation. The announcement came a week after the IRS asked taxpayers to wait to file their tax returns. This guidance came as officials and politicians across the nation urged the IRS not to tax relief payments related to general welfare and disaster. The IRS, in weeks prior, considered taxing the $750 Tabor tax refund for individuals or $1,500 for joint filers as part of Colorado's residents' income. States across the nation issued similar checks to residents during the pandemic. Friday, this was answered as they would not be taxing the refund. For KGNU, I'm Jack Armstrong. The Aurora City Manager announced his retirement after nearly five years on the job. KGNU's Jake Crawley has more. Aurora City Manager Jim Twombly is set to retire on April 7th after more than four and a half years as the city's top appointee. Twombly, a grandfather of six, stated that he wants to spend more time with his family. According to the Aurora Sentinel, Twombly served 42 years in public service, including as city manager in Tulsa, Oklahoma and Pelo, Ohio. The Aurora mayor and city council members praised Twombly for his successful leadership during the COVID-19 pandemic and wished him a successful retirement. The city council will meet later today to begin the process of appointing a new city manager. For KGNU, I'm Jake Crowley. Volunteers to the Boulder Open Space Board of Trustees voted 3-2 last week against a staff proposal to allow e-bikes on certain open space trails. 
According to the Boulder Reporting Lab, city council members will have the final say on the contentious issue, likely in the coming months. Staff from the city's Open Space and Mountain Parks Department proposed allowing e-bikes on open space trails, especially for trails that connect to the county system of trails that allow e-bikes. A sticking point is the definition of the term passive recreation, which generally involves non-motorized activities. Those opposing e-bikes on open space trails argue that changing the definition of passive recreation should go through a ballot measure rather than by city council vote. Supporters say the term is vague and members should interpret it in the modern context. The Boulder Reporting Lab reports biking on city open space trails has a contentious history as Boulder banned mountain bikes for the western half of its open space system in 1987 and the Open Space Board of Trustees voted against a pilot study of e-bikes in 2013. The Colorado Board of Education approved 11 teacher preparation programs for the University of Colorado last week, but only gave partial approval to the school's speech-language program, citing allegations shared by two students of unethical, confrontational, and objectionable behavior by an unnamed professor. Despite the allegations and incomplete approval of the program, the State Board of Education report did issue a positive evaluation for how the school trains teachers on reading instruction and that students showed a clear understanding regarding the science surrounding how children learn to read. Chalkbeat Colorado reports state reviewers will visit CU Boulder again in the fall to determine if the school has done enough to address the reported behavior and provide support for students. Denver International Airport officials announced Friday that the airport set an all-time passenger traffic record in 2022, with over 69 million passengers traveling to and from the airport. DIA officials say they had projected a higher total, but a cold snap in December and subsequent delays and cancellations by Southwest Airlines lessened the amount of passenger traffic for the year. Airport officials applauded DIA's quick recovery from the pandemic, which slumped passenger traffic to 33.7 million during 2020. According to a DIA consultant, the airport is showing signs of robust activity with airlines using new gates. The consultant also projects DIA will have 80 million annual passengers by 2025 and 100 million by 2032. A driver of a sport utility vehicle crashed into a North Boulder home just after midnight Saturday. Boulder police say when they arrived on scene, they found a male driver upside down in the vehicle, which was partially inside the house on the 3500 block of 4th Street. The crash did not result in any major injuries. Police charged the 42-year-old driver with a DUI, careless driving, and texting while driving, and took him to the Boulder County Jail. For today's weather forecast, the National Weather Service says skies will be mostly sunny with a high of 61 for Denver, 57 degrees for Boulder, and 56 degrees for Fort Collins. Winds will be calm during daytime hours. Tonight, it will be mostly cloudy with a low of 27 for Fort Collins and 30 degrees for Boulder and Denver. A hazardous weather outlook by the National Weather Service says light snow is expected over the mountains later this afternoon and tonight. Accumulations will not be significant. Gusty westerly downsloping winds will develop in the mountains and foothills from the divide eastward towards on Tuesday morning. Gusts up to 50 miles per hour are possible. For KGNU, I'm Stacy Johnson.
You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser is visiting communities impacted by the proposed grocery store merger between Albertsons and Kroger. Weiser recently visited Gunnison to kick off the listening tour. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KBUT's Kate Ganap reports on what's at stake for rural communities. Kroger, which owns City Market, announced plans to acquire Albertsons, which owns Safeway, for nearly $25 billion last October. Weiser's office is now leading a multi-state investigation into the proposed merger. The listening sessions are what Weiser describes as a part of the initial investigation phase to explore whether the merger is benign or if it hurts consumers or workers. Gunnison County has two such grocery stores, one Safeway and one City Market, both located in the city of Gunnison. If the proposed merger did take place, the two major stores would be owned by the same company. There's a concept called the Maslow Hierarchy of Needs. What do people most need to survive? Weiser came by the KBUT studios while he was in Gunnison, where he talked about what he learned from the community. Food is really basic. When you have food insecurity, when people can't afford food, it creates all sorts of other stresses or strains on families and communities. This merger bears on food prices, on food choice, on the food pantries, access to food. All those topics came up. People were really concerned and for understandable reasons. He said the number of people that travel to Gunnison for groceries was surprising. Geographic markets are sometimes not what you think. Lake City is dependent on access to food in Gunnison, meaning the geographic market is not only Gunnison. It could well include Lake City. Gunnison County, which is one of the larger counties in the state geographically, is host to many smaller communities sprinkled throughout the region, like Crested Butte, Lake City, and Sawatch, who also rely on the two major grocery chains. Other communities like Almont, Pitkin, Sapinero, and Parlin travel to City Market and Safeway for basics like milk and eggs. Gunnison resident Steve Schechter talked about the additional needs in a popular resort destination where groceries not only serve the local population, but visitors, too. So when there's a plane lands at the airport, they come over to City Market and they strip the shelves like locusts. And so locals have last choice on that. I think that many of us have, you know, made the big trip down to Gunnison, whether you're coming from Lake City or Crested Butte, only to find the same things, the household staples that you need out week after week after week. That was Gunnison County Commissioner Liz Smith talking about the impacts the merger would have on rural communities like the Gunnison Valley. And so having two grocery stores in such close proximity has been helpful because if you're making that investment and, you know, some people, this is a 90-minute one-way trip. If you're making that time investment in your car, you know, to get to a grocery store, you have another chance (laughs) to get the thing that you need. But if we're reduced to one supply chain instead of two, um, that makes it even more difficult. Gunnison Mayor Diego Plata spoke at the listening session and said one of his biggest concerns was the potential change in pharmacies. City Market and Walmart have pharmacy departments, but a single store closure could mean access to medical supplies could come from only one store. Representatives from the Gunnison Country Food Pantry were also in attendance. The pantry relies on City Market and Safeway each month for food donations. According to the pantry, both grocery chains contribute a substantial amount of food for those in need. In 2022, Safeway donated nearly 40,000 pounds of food. City Market donated approximately 32,000 pounds. 
the community has also seen an increase in the need for food assistance. Reports from the Gunnison Pantry show people asked for food assistance about 3,000 times in 2016. By 2022, that figure had more than doubled. Longtime Safeway employee John Stefanik, who was in attendance for the meeting, said his main concern was how pensions would be impacted by store closures. It's, it's a big chunk of money. I'm not, not a big chunk of money. Yeah. It would hurt. I mean, at, at our age right now, I'm 75 years old. There is not a place in town that's going to hire me. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> Nancy Barnett is the produce manager at Safeway and said she too is against the merger. I was born and raised in this valley. Living in this valley, it's a two-income survival. And, you know, even sometimes two incomes, you can't afford to live here. Uh, My daughter and her husband moved away because they couldn't afford to live here. But they closed union stores. Um, It is going to affect the pension. No city market representatives were in attendance for the meeting. Weiser will continue his listening tour across the state as his office gathers information over the course of the next year. There are people who are already on the edge. We want to make sure that a merger doesn't go through that pushes them off the edge. Public comments can be submitted to the Attorney General's office through the website stopfraudcolorado.gov. For KBUT, I'm Kate Gnab. When you pay $80 for an Uber to the airport, how much of the fare goes to the driver? A recent survey of local gig drivers shows that they're only making an average of $5.49 an hour. That data has brought the debate over gig work back to the state legislature, where some lawmakers are pushing a new gig worker transparency bill to require these tech platforms to disclose information about payments to both the drivers and their customers. In today's CityCast Denver excerpt, Bree Davies talks with three Uber and Lyft drivers to get a full picture of what it's like to work in the gig economy in Denver in 2023. I'm going to have you go around and just say your name so that when listeners hear this, they know who's talking. Can you just introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Munir Abuzawida. I'm from Libya originally, and I'm a Uber driver. Michael Machar, original Sudanese Uber driver. Uh, my name is uh, Zoltan. I'm from Myanmar. They used to call Burma before. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. I want to start with this shocking statistic that I read recently that says Uber and Lyft drivers may only be making $5.49 per hour. How is this possible? It's it's real because the, uh, the algorithm they use, it's, it's bizarre. Like, we never know what, you know, the price you're going to get every time you pick up. Like, we, it's below than the minimum wage. It sounds like drastically lower than minimum wage. Yes, it is. It is. And that's what we, uh, we pick up a fight trying to defend ourselves. And also, like, it, the cost of living is unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's getting really bad. The gas, the food, everything. And to be honest, that's what not what what we signed for, you know, from the very beginning, you know. Yeah, because I was shocked when they saw that. I mean, it's, it's it wasn't like this before, you know. So uh, now we're like kind of suffering, you know. Can you imagine like working for just five dollars an hour? I've never seen this since two thousand eight and two thousand nine. And you well, and you said that it was 
it was not like this before. How long have you been driving and when did you notice a change? I've been doing this for six years or maybe over. And I noticed that like three months ago, I was sitting at the airport and then I started getting like calls and I saw the price and it's $17. Can you imagine driving 25 miles from the airport to Denver downtown? And you have to deal with the traffic too because sometimes it takes like up in one hour, you know? And then that's just for $17. And you're still paying for gas and expenses, you know, maintenance for the car. That's unbelievable, to be honest. Michael Zell, what about you guys? Yeah, I have one experience that, uh, from downtown. He finished his shift at like around like 11. I picked it at him and uh, he's kind of fresh, uh, upset about the lift charging or lift. Or, uh, yeah, I, I think it was like lift and he kind of upset and uh, he was like, man, why is it so expensive? And I just quiet, and uh, since when I drove off, I just show how much I get paid. And he said $80 he paid, and uh, I get $16. So he paid $80, yes. and you get 16 of that. So, yeah. And what you're explaining, it sounds like, is you're getting frustration from your customers. So, over... yeah, I don't want to uh, respond right away because he kind of upset. Yeah. And I just show him my phone screen, how much I made and how much he paid, so he know. It's not you that's making that yeah. decision. Yeah. Sure. Michael, how about you? Um, I, used to, I used to drive for Lyft and Uber for like four years. And every day I had I, I was just like noting that it's it's not real. Like the what they the way they operate, it's so corrupt. And they they use that algorithm to exaggerate you know the whole thing uh, between us and writers you know sometimes they use us against one another and and I I was just I, I have to defend myself all the time until I I was like you know what something has to be done you know so I start I start you know looking around I look up some unions and I call you know union I reach out and these guys, they used to come to the parking lot. I didn't know about them. And they came and just, we we start working together. Then I started mobilizing drivers, you know, Muneer, everybody. And then we start letting people know what's going on. Something has to be done with, you know, with all these abusive has been done against us. And also the community, yeah, everybody is just, it's, it's more than struggling, you know. We work every day, and no one should be working every day in America just to survive. So you've talked about this change where you can't decide when you work and you can't decide which or rides you can take. What's going on there? I think the way how they play it now, it's different. So, for example, the high demand, it's going to be like at the rush hour. Sometimes I don't want to like work at the rush hour, you know. So it's going to be high demand. You're going to pick one or two like riders. That's all. That's how they play it, you know. So before, like, you can start like working in the morning. You can get good rides, right? But now you can't find any good rides because there is no demand. Because most of the time, when we make money, when it's get like demand, that's when you make like good money. Especially now, like from like I'm talking about like from three months and now like from three months in the past until now, it's it's not like we don't have like any demands at all. 
even at the airports. So they show you there's a demand there. So you can just, you know, surge, you know, you expecting like a good rides. It's still, it's still nothing. What, what do you think has changed? Is this, is this an algorithm problem or are there not as many people requesting rides? I'm like, I'm confused as to what's changed. Yeah, it's kind of a mysterious way they do it. So they let you, you know, they, they're trying to make the problem is like with the rider and the driver. Because most of the time, the rider think that most of the money goes to you, you know? Sure. So, yeah, now my like my riders ask me if I'm getting the whole tip or they take some of it. They're trying to make sure that we get in the tip. That's for example, you know, but I always talk to my riders and I tell them the truth. They take in 60%. So we taking 30, maybe 40, if we got that, because they still charging, you know, more charges, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I feel like people now got like more knowledge. I'm talking about the riders, sure. you know? Yeah. And they, you know, they get upset with this company. We're trying to, you know, let people like know that we're really suffering, you know, because they, they can't say, like, see how much we making, you know? They just show them like how much they charge them and then if they charge them $100, the riders will be like, oh, are you taking 80, 90? No, we're taking at least like 16, $17 and most of the money go to the Uber company, you know? So yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating to be honest. So th that actually brings me to this new gig work transparency bill that legislators are working on, I think, because you all have been vocal about these issues. Um, and it would require the companies to show drivers how much it sounds like you guys know how much you make on each ride. But the transparency would also allow you to know why you're you've been deactivated or know why your rating has gone down. Yeah, right. Is that helpful to you? What? Um, we also we would like to be access to the whole you know fair, because if you if you if you throw me a number, tell me how did you get that number, you know, you cannot just show me a number and I don't know how you get that number. That's that's a, that's a problem too. So the transparency it sounds like is the app might charge the customer eighty dollars for a ride to the airport. Right. You don't see that. No. You don't know. We used they... to, like before, we used to see yeah. the whole, Damn. like, receipt after, like, we drop an after. So we see how much, like, the, the, like, the fare was and then how much Uber, like, take and how much we making. But after they done this, like, three months ago, we don't see anything. We just see the amount that we are taking, either if it's traffic or more miles. Because sometimes the, the rider said, like, oh, can I pick up my, like, change my address? So they change the address, but it's just like for a couple dollars. Sometimes they need to go like five, six miles more. And they charge them like they charge them more because I'm talking to my riders and they know everything. So I like to share, you know. So they charge them like $10 more and they give you $1 for that change. Sometimes too. Yeah. And Even sometimes they're not giving you anything. Further. Yeah. Okay. And they recently changed this where all of a sudden you can't see that information. No. So maybe it sounds like this bill... Um, that they're working on the, in the legislature might help you. You just want access to information, right? Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. And also, we want fairness. Uh, the company has, we have to trust the company, you know? Uh, if any of you, you have a lot of employees and they don't trust you, it's not a good, you know, it's kind of work condition. So we, we would like to trust what we do, you know, and like it. People should like their jobs, you know? Right. And especially when you're a partner, you know, you don't, uh, 
you don't dishonor your partner. Because we signed contract with them, they should treat us equally with the writers. It's a business. Sure. So Uber and Lyft are these huge companies, but they're still struggling to turn a profit. Is there any part of you that worries that regulations like could put them out of business and put you out of a job? Uh, not not necessary. I mean, they should be honest about the whole thing. Come on the table, talk to us, you know? So we can have some sort of hope, you know, like, well, this issue is going to be solved. But Uber don't want a conversation. They view that algorithm like a scam. We feel like we, we, we work for a scam company. And it's not a good way to, you know, to deal with somebody who, who gave you a lot. Because without us, it won't be, won't be over. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. For what it's worth, when The Guardian first reported on the survey showing an average driver's pay in Denver was only $5.49 per hour, they checked in with Uber and DoorDash. An Uber spokesperson said that the company's internal data showed median driver earnings at more than $37 per hour of time spent engaged on the platform. You just heard an excerpt from CityCast Denver, the local Denver daily news podcast. Learn more about subscribing to the podcast at denver.citycast.fm or wherever you get your podcasts. today's morning magazine. Special thanks to Stacey Johnson, Jack Armstrong, Jake Crowley, Alexis Kenyon, Kate Ganap, and CityCast Denver for their contributions to today's program. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. If you'd like to comment on something you heard on KGNU, you can leave us a voicemail at 303-447-9911. We play the messages back on Tuesdays during the morning magazine. Stay tuned for a commentary from Jim Hightower and then Storytellers of Color with Rosanna Longo Better. That's coming up after the news headlines from the BBC.